This is the Horse Radio Network. What a beautiful day for horses in the morning. I'm Emily Esterson from Coverside Magazine, the magazine of mounted fox hunting. And I'm Tara Tibbetts with Brazos Valley Hounds near Fort Worth, Texas. And you are listening to the monthly fox hunting episode of Horses in the Morning on the Horse Radio Network for January 17th, 2019, episode 2099. This episode is brought to you by Coverside Magazine. Good morning, horse world. This is our special monthly episode about fox hunting on the third Thursday of every month. So tune in to hear all about the latest. And coming up on this time, this month's show, we are going to talk about fox hunting in cold weather, which is what happens around most of the country. We're going to talk about cold weather attire and tack and preparations to going fox hunting in the cold to make sure you have a great time. And our guests today... Terry Hook from the Green Mountain Hounds, and John Tabachka, who is the huntsman with the Suwickley Hunt. So, Emily, what adventures have you had out hunting in the last month since we last chatted? Well, it's been pretty eventful for us because we have had a lot of snow in New Mexico, which is super unusual. And, um, you know, it was, it was, we had two days uh, our boxing day meet, we had about, I think, seven or eight of us, and it snowed four inches in, during the time we were out. I mean, it was unbelievable. And I was whipping in that day, and I literally could not, I was riding completely blind. It was like these big, giant, wet flakes. And of course, like the minute the huntsman cast the hounds, they struck, and we were full on in a blinding blizzard. And I was, it was actually hilarious because, you know, we knew that we had some people who were going to come um, meet us in a truck with some drinks and stuff. And we kind of came around this in this area and all of a sudden we were there. And I was like, wait, I had no idea this is where we were because I was so snow blind. Um, but it was super fun. And then, of course, we pulled the hounds off at that point because we just were like, this is ridiculous. We couldn't even see. And the people who were driving our quote unquote whoop, whoopee wagon with the drinks on it saw the coyote circle right around in front of them on the way back. So that was super fun. And then just a couple of weeks, just last Saturday, we went out and we had about um, eight inches of fresh powder and we didn't really hunt. It was more of a hound exercise because it was just too deep. And as, you know, one of our guests was is going to say, you know, as Terry was saying, the hounds are just porpoising through the through the snow. It was beautiful to watch, but there, the hunting wasn't, you know, we couldn't really hunt. But it was a great, fun trail ride with the hounds. So those were my adventures. And Tara, how about you? What have you been up to? Well, I have to, is, is it pretty unusual for you to have that amount of snow this year? Oh yeah. This time of year? Totally unusual. Totally unusual. We, 
we get, we'll get snow, we'll get, you know, three, four inches of snow, five inches of snow, but it usually is gone in a day. And, you know, and this time it's stuck around, it's stuck around, it keeps snowing and snowing. So, you know, up in Santa Fe, they've probably got, I think they have eight inches on the ground right now. So it's crazy. I'm not going to lie. It sounds a little bit dreamy. We have, we've had a fair amount of rain lately. So a couple of our fixtures are a little bit more difficult to hunt in the rain. I will say, as as you know, Emily, uh, the horse that I'm riding this year is a, a officially as of January 1st, he's now a five-year-old, but he's a green off the track thoroughbred. So for me, every hunt is a little bit of an adventure just to see how he's getting seasoned and how he's taking the hunts. And the first couple of hunts crossing water was a little bit exciting. We had a lot of leaping and and jumping and being convinced that we were clearly made to do the four foot hunters just because of his leaping across water. And now he's taken to crossing water and it's a wonderful opportunity to drink. And so he just wants to wallow in the water, which has been pretty entertaining, but he's, he's doing fantastically. And a couple of weeks ago we were hunting on one particular fixture and I was with another whipper in and we were just kind of up on the top of a hill and lo and behold, the coyote came and ran right between the two of us and the hounds came right after it. So it was, it was always fun and exciting when you can see the hounds working and doing their job. Yeah, totally. I mean, that's one of the things, you know, as I've gotten to be a better whipper in it, you know, one of the things I absolutely love is sort of keeping track of the hounds and seeing what they're doing and, and watching them work. And it's great when you're, when you hunt in open country, I don't know about where you are in Texas, but where we are, most of our country is fairly open. We can see, we can actually see what's going on and the field can see what's going on, which is really fun. So, and, you know, we're also planning our 20th anniversary. This is our 20th season. So that's relatively young for a lot of East coast packs, but it's good for, for a West Western pack. So, you know, yeah, that's, that's very exciting. Yeah. So on your thoroughbred, is he, is he, uh, is he coming along? And it's so much fun to bring them along. I mean, it sounds like from the videos, it looks like he's really learning about the water and being able to deal with it. I feel like I'm getting incredibly spoiled in this horse is yeah, the, pr- the previous horses I've hunted that have been more or less mine have been quarter horses and quarter horses in my experience have fantastic brains, but this off the track thoroughbred is just off the charts. He's very calm. He's never had issues with cracking the whip off of him with anything. I've asked him to jump. He jumps. He's very willing. I could ride his canner for a month. It's in, it's just delightful in to ride and in his claim to fame. And I don't know that I've ever said this on our podcast is he's justifies uncle. Mm. So justify won the triple crown and Simon's mother was a half sibling to justify's mother. So he's very, very well bred and everything I've read about his sire's name is go zapper. And everything I've read about those horses is that none of them ever come off the track because they're such talented racehorses, but those who do are very athletic and they have really fantastic brains. And that's really, I take another ghost zapper in a heartbeat. You know, when you get a good off the track thoroughbred in a hunt field, there is nothing better. You know, it, they are so, they just cover the ground and they're so, you know, brave and confident and yeah, they're just great. And, you know, I'm saying this because my, my horse is a Connemara quarter horse. 
thoroughbred. She's a little bit of a mutt, but she has great thoroughbred bloodlines. And to me, that's what makes her a great hunt horse. And the Connemara, of course, you know, that Irish blood. So, you know, of course. Yeah. So we are doing our newcomers tips and we found these on the internet and they're really fun. Um, and this week we're going to continue our newcomers tips. And for all of you out there, we think these are great, great advice um, for people who are new to fox hunting. And I can't remember where we left off. I think uh, we left off on number three. Hunting people love calamity avoided. Yeah. Okay. So hunting people love calamity avoided. And uh, we had a great story on the show about John Tabachka's crossing the ice. Um, there's a quiet moment after Lady Luck has thrown her dice and you into the ditch. But once it's clear you're alive and vastly more importantly that your horse is okay, then the jokes begin. That is a good thing. You aren't anyone in a hunt until your saddle has slipped on mounting and you've had to chase your panicked horse across the car park with your saddle flapping under its belly. You're simply not worth speaking to until you are upside down in a bog, scrabbling to find your hunt whip. All last season, one young lad politely but resolutely refused my attempt at conversation. Finally, one day, he saw me fall off my horse and slide with it, man and beast, down the side of a small mountain. I remounted, and the lad has not stopped talking to me since. Hunt people love a good story. I was going to say, it's um, hunt people actually like calamity not avoided completely. Right. This is true. <laughs> this is true. I know in our hunt, our hunt's famous story, which I wasn't even present for, but I could probably tell it word by word on the air because it just gets repeated and repeated. And every time we laugh and laugh and laugh about it. And that is when we were crossing the Rio Grande River. I was not there. They were crossing the Rio Grande River. And, you know, the Rio Grande is pretty dry in a lot of places. Like you can walk across it, but apparently not this day. And so there was a big calamity, but it was avoided. So calamity not avoided, but nobody got hurt. Everybody lived to tell the story. So no horses were injured. Everybody just laughed about it. What's yours? Our, our calamity not avoided, but avoided, you know, there's, there's like, as you said, myriad stories, but one of the ones that again, it happened before I was hunting is a funny story about, uh, there was a property that my hunt used to hunt on that had, uh, I want to say it was like, a, they had some donkeys or something along those lines. And if anyone's ever ridden horses, not accustomed to being around donkeys and burrows, it can be kind of a contentious situation because some horses just are not okay with it. And if I recall the event, it was they were on a line and they were riding hard and fast. And one of the whipper ins horse was exceptionally not okay with donkeys and came upon the donkeys and decided at that moment he was going to impersonate a reining horse and stopped and spun and went the other direction. <laughs> and if I recall, I think that the rider did stay mounted and nobody got hurt horrendously, but it, it just confirmed to that horse that he did never want to see a donkey again. Yeah. You know, we have a, we have, um, 
a mule, guy rides a mule in our hunt. And uh, boy, Lucy spent the whole first, the first time she saw that mule, Oliver, she spent the whole time staring at it with one ear, like one ear cocked always. Like, I don't know what that thing is. I'm not really sure what that is, but you know, it smells a little different. It has those ears. She got over it and then she fell in love with him. She was like, I'm, I love that mule. So that was kind of funny. Yeah. They're, they're pretty funny about that. Yeah. So should we go on to number four? Yes. I'll, I'll, I'll take the lead on number four. When speaking to the huntsman, do it when he isn't hunting and make it brief anyway. Talking to a huntsman at the meet or while they're working hounds is like striking up idle chit chat with a pilot engaged in an emergency landing, unhelpful and unlikely to elicit a warm response. They're busy. Even after hunting is finished, I reckon the best thing I can do is thank the hunt staff and leave them to relax. And I will say, Emily, from my experience, that is 100% true. I would I would have to agree with that. 100% true. They are focused on the job. And they're doing what they can. They're managing all those hounds. They're managing their horse. They're providing sport. They, you know, they are, they have work to do. So if you have a question for the huntsman, best to best to leave them until they are relaxing with a nice drink after everything is done. So, you know, and and I've had the opportunity to chat with a few huntsmen and talk about just, there really is a lot of pressure or they feel a lot of pressure to provide good sport to those riding in the field. And I think that those of us in the field kind of take that for granted a little bit. I totally agree with that. I mean, I think it's, they really take it seriously. And I have, Um, I have two good friends, both of whom are huntsmen and both of them, um, will express real disappointment, you know, to me, if they, if they feel like it was a blank day or, you know, if they didn't follow the hounds in the right way, or if they made a mistake or whatever, and they'll be like, yeah, I really, mm, you know, I feel really bad because we didn't provide good sports. And most of the, most of the time the field, uh, the field kind of notices, but you know, for the most part, they, they might notice if it's a blank day, but the huntsmen probably take it more seriously than the field and the field's enjoying their ride and the huntsmen's got pressure to give, you know, to provide good sport. So that's, uh, that's, you know, that is definitely true. Um, definitely true. Hidden Fox Hunting is brought to you by the Masters of Foxhounds Association, the governing body of fox hunting in the United States. MFHA manages the stud book. It also provides Coverside Magazine, of which I am the editor, and it does a great deal of meetings and conferences and educational activities that are available to anyone who joins the MFHA. And you can do that by going to the website at mfha.com. And we'll work, welcome our first guest now. His name is Terry Hook. He is the Joint Master of the Green Mountain Hounds based in Western Vermont. So, Terry, uh, this is... Uh, hidden fox hunting and we know you're up in Vermont. So why don't you tell us a little bit about where you are in Vermont and a little bit about Green Mountain Hounds and it's 
winter routine because as you wrote to me this morning, you said it was eight below there. And I was like, oh, of course, I'm in New Mexico where it's, you know, nice most of the time. So, yeah. So tell me about that. Yeah. So, so I'm, I'm joining MFH of uh, Green Mountain Hounds. In, in, we're sort of in western Vermont, if you will. We hunt up and down the Champlain Valley. Personally, I live a little bit farther north, but we have fixtures all the way down to sort of what we might call southern Vermont. The other hunt in Vermont is North Country Hounds, which is on the eastern side of Vermont, kind of in the Connecticut River Valley. And if it's possible to imagine, their weather is often even more inclement than ours. But uh, yes, as uh, it was actually 11 below this morning, I think, when I, we left to go go skiing. And right now it's plus eight. So it's kind of kind of gotten mild. But, but yeah, winters in Vermont are kind of... Uh, 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 difficult, you might say. Yes. So, do you keep hunting through the winter, or do you uh, do you pack it in at a certain point? Well, it, it I guess it depends on what you mean by winter. But yeah, our basically our season, and pretty much everybody in New England, our season runs from say first of August to the first of December around there. So we we kind of by design pack it in, um, and we're not trying to hunt now. But, of course, we do have to take care of the horses and the hounds, and I'll get to that later. But, you know, although we kind of end up running it right into, you know, what some people might consider to be winter already, so to speak. In other words, uh, you know, 1st of December can be pretty, uh, the weather up until the 1st of December can be, you know, pretty bad um, also relative to perhaps what, what other what other hunts have to put up with. But if you ask me, what do we do about hunting in the winter? Well, we don't, I guess, is the simple answer. The, the more complex answer is that winter sometimes catches us up anyway. And so we do, we do hunt in some weather that one might consider to be uh, pretty challenging, if you will. So what are, your, uh, what are your sort of top five tips for keeping warm uh, when you're on horseback hunting hounds in late November? And, you know, I spent a, uh, a four years in Vermont, and so I, I'm familiar with riding. I, I worked at a farm, a horse farm, so I know a little bit about this, but I'd love to hear what you guys do to, you know, to keep yourselves warm. Well, I kind of, we had a nice um, uh, a photographer come from the Boston Globe this year. It was very, very exciting. She came for our opening meet in September and took a lot of photographs, and she asked to come back um later i think it was late october perhaps early november and i said you know we're going to look kind of different you know we were pretty looked pretty polished in in september you know everybody with the the clothes are all all nice and clean and then all the right attire and so on i said you know you come back here when it's cold we're kind of going to look like a more like a bunch of ruffians right everybody's bundled up you know the uh, all the people have you know earmuffs and uh, on uh, over their helmets and the horses look fuzzy and uh, kind of dirtier, and uh, we look more rough and ready. And uh, all those beautifully polished boots have maybe transformed into those, you know, uh, thick padded uh, mountain boots, and so on. Um, we look we look more like a bunch of uh, yeah, a bunch of ruffians in the plains. Um, and she came back and took pictures of us looking like that too. She seemed perfectly content with that. So we bundle up, I guess, is the short answer. And all those heavy woolen clothes are much appreciated. Uh, there's also perhaps some more flask action, but uh, we needn't uh, dwell on that too much. Yes. <laughs> a little uh, little courage and warmth 
is never yeah. a bad thing sometimes. <laughs> so do you wave, um, do you wave formal jackets, uh, coats, or do you still wear, do you still wear your heavy melt-in coats, your wool coats, or do I, you? I think, I, I think most people find that the heavy, the heavy uh, attire, you know, the classic attire, probably the warmest, but the fact is, yeah, if you want to wear a big puffy down coat, you know, when it's, you know, 10 degrees, that's, that's okay. You know, I think, I think the, the point, no, no one wants to, no one wants to freeze to death. And I think we're all content to, to, to look as well as we can within, you know, reasonable constraints. So yeah, I see people wearing some things that look awfully puffy and not, not quite so proper, but I'll tell you my wealth, my Melton is probably the warmest thing I can think of to wear anyway. It's true. You know, those Melton coats, those heavy ones, they're pretty warm. So, um, what about what about the hounds? What kind of uh, you know change in kennel routine or um, or exercise routine when it's really cold? Is there anything you do differently? Well, yeah, this this time of year we we're not hunting, but we walk them out three times a three times a week. The staff gets together and we take them out of their kennels. And um, you know when it's icy and snowy, we don't take them out that long because they're you know, their feet hurt, you know, it, it can be like, they're, they're wildly enthusiastic and to watch them bounding through the snow, like porpoises, they love it, but they're not, you know, they really shouldn't be allowed to, to, to do it too much because they will wear themselves out and get, get awfully cold. So we don't take them out very long. And when we bring them in, you know, they pack in all together in their kennel and pile up in a big, big hound pile. You know, we have, you know, warm things for them as well but so we walk them out all winter but we try to keep it down to a minimum um just because it's really pretty hard on their feet to be running around on the ice when it's say below 10 degrees you know when it's 30 degrees it's fine we're all out there having a having fun but it is fun watching them they love to run through the snow and it they look like porpoises bounding through the uh We've got actually quite a bit of snow here right now, and we're walking them tomorrow, and I'm kind of looking forward to watching them uh, act foolish and young. But um, we, we, we do take them out all winter, but, but, but not, you know, but mildly, so to speak. So this is Tara. Is, is the weather you're experiencing right now customary for Vermont winter, or is it, do you, I grew up in eastern Montana, and so... Today, I think at home, it was like 40-something degrees, but it's not unusual this time of year for it to be 30 below zero. So it fluctuates. Tonight. Does that affect how you plan hunting, or do you just plan to not hunt? This is, well, we, just, we, just, we, we shut down the hunt first of December. I mean, we just don't plan on it at all. Um, hunting, we just, that's the end of our season. And if we make it to the end of the season, we're pretty happy. And I'm, I'm sorry to say that this year we ended up canceling about the last five hunts because of snow and ice and inclement weather. So this time of year, it's pretty typical what I'm talking about here, you know, plus 10, minus 10, give or take. Now, last year we had a plan to take our hounds or some of our hounds down to Belmede for the drag performance trials. Um, in January, right about this time of year, if I recall, our, our plan was to take them down, but it had been unusually cold for probably a month beforehand, you know, in the 20 below zero range. And the hounds couldn't get out. We didn't get them out of the kennels at all. And we thought it's just grossly unfair to take our hounds out of that kind of weather, put them in a truck, ship them a thousand miles south and ask them to run in the heat of Georgia. 
so we didn't end up doing that because the weather was unusually bad here last year this time. This is pretty typical, though. Just, you know, we just sort of deal with it. They go out for a while. They don't go out. But, um, and it can be 40 degrees. And if it's 40 degrees, we'll take them out longer, right, and have more fun. But it doesn't – we just sort of expect this um, pretty much this time of year, that they're going to hunker down to a large degree. And the horses, too, for that matter. So I'm curious then, too – so I hunt with Brazos Valley in around Fort Worth, Texas, and our season is pretty set at November through March, which I, I, my understand is pretty customary for a lot of hunts in yep. the United States. So do you have like a start stop and then do you, do you pick up again in, in the spring when it gets a little warmer or what is your season? Yeah, exactly. That, what, what you mentioned is, is really the, the traditional American and I would say Northern European hunt season, right? You know, the November through March for the, but all the hunts in New England, um, and I'm not sure about the other, I think the Canadian hunts as well, it's basically August to December. And then we all stop through the worst of the winter months. And most of us, if not all, have a spring season. And we pop out again for four to six weeks, sort of before the crops go in. And things can be muddy things can be chilly then. Um, but everybody gets out, gets a little bit legged up. So I think a spring season is, is pretty, uh, typical in new England and Canada for that matter. Um, and then we lay off again till kind of, uh, August when we, uh, start hunting in earnest through the first of August, uh, which we call, you know, summer season, if you will. And then, you know, we don't have our formal until say September, October, but, uh, but pretty much everybody in New England has that that kind of routine, which kind of leaves a lot of people open, say, right about now to be in Ireland or Aiken or Middleburg. Or, so a lot of people, there, a number of people will, will travel and hunt elsewhere during this downtime for us. Yeah, I think those Bill Mead performance trials are actually this weekend because I've seen on Facebook a bunch of people traveling south to that. So um, that I, I've, yeah, I've noticed that too. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> and we were at Bell Mead, and we were at Bell Mead in, in early December. So so here's here's the thing. So I mentioned that last year we 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 just couldn't go. The weather was too poor, and our hounds and horses were all too out of shape by the time it came around in January. And, and, uh, we were asked, uh, myself and another, you know, master from New England, Sue Levy from Wentworth, they said, well, what can we do to, to make it possible for you guys to participate? And we said, early December, everybody's still fit. The traveling weather's better. We're done, you know, so we're not in fear of their own hunting. And so we packed up our hounds and went to Bellmead in, uh, in early December, um, for drag performance trials. And we had a great time. And everybody said, oh, my goodness, you brought the weather with you. And we said, yes, thanks. Isn't it great? And they said, no, my God, it's freezing. What are you talking about? You brought this cold. We thought it was great. We were very happy with the weather, which was, oh, probably in the upper 20s or 30s. And uh, and our hounds were happy with it. And anyway, we were thrilled to be able to participate and, and, and get into what we thought was mild weather for a little while early in December while our everybody was still fit. Some people came down and brought horses. Um, some of us just brought the hounds, some used horses from there, but it was a, it was a great timing for us. Our season's over and things were just beginning down there. Yeah, that, that is, uh, that is, sounds like a great opportunity. You know, 
when I lived in Vermont, I was always looking for a way to get out of there in the wintertime, you know, go south and ride, you know, it just didn't always happen. So what about the horses? How do you, um, so you have, you know, you leg them up like you normally would for hunt season um, from, you know, in the, in the summer and get them ready for hunt season. And then at what point, you know, do you clip them? Do you no. keep them fuzzy? Do you like, you know, exactly. what is that, your... That, Winter horse. Yeah, that, that's exactly the conundrum. I mean, and, and people do it differently. And it, you get to this point where there might be ice, there might be snow. You know, what, what do you do? Do you, do you, so if you're, and everybody makes a different decision. And this makes it, this makes the hunting a difficult decision. You know, I think, you know, do you, do you cancel a hunt and why would you cancel a hunt? Well, you know, if it's, you know, it, and everybody doesn't have the same equipment is what I mean to say. So uh, my wife and I just, we don't generally ride our horses in the winter. We just choose to let them have the winter off. And so we let them get fuzzy and we take their shoes off. If you want to ride them in the winter, you should clip and put on studs and snowshoes. And those two decisions, you know, the decision of these things, you know, isn't, is important. This comes about, you know, towards the middle of November. What should I do? Should I clip? If you do, you're going to be blanketing heavily all winter long, which is fine if you're riding. So, Everybody makes a different decision, is what I mean to say. And so it, it makes it difficult. We, we normally, if we're talking about hunting when it's likely to be slippery or icy, we pretty much err on the side of safety for those who are running with regular shoes or barefoot. And, you know, not assuming that everybody has studs or, or the snowshoes to pop the snowballs out. And so it's, it's a, as, as of now, I'm sad to say my horse does have studs and snowshoes i was ready but everybody else wasn't so i haven't i haven't had a chance to take advantage of them as well i mean i was all primed but just you know but everybody isn't so we we try to we, we all make different decisions and and those are the key decisions are you taking them south are you clipping are you putting on are you going barefoot and uh, everybody makes a different one for better or worse and so i'm just curious if you do this is terrigan if you do if your hunt's not going out, um, would you go out with other hunts nearby or are you keeping your horse legged up? We're pretty much all kind of on the same routine. I mean, you know, there aren't, well, I shouldn't say that. There are relatively nearby. Golden's Bridge in New York is probably five hours away. They hunt the traditional season. And so um, I, I have never gone down there in the winter, but... Um, if one wanted, they're, they're probably the nearest hunt that actually hunts through the winter. Um, everybody else in New England, all of our immediate neighbors stop when we do. So there really aren't any hunt options, you know, in, in New England or Canada at this time of year, except, you know, you have to go south and a lot of people do. They load up and they head and go to, go to Aiken, if you will, and uh, enjoy that. So there really aren't, there, there are no, there are no hunt options nearby. Our, our, our neighbors over in North Country on, in uh, eastern Vermont, uh, they get they, they often get shut down even earlier than we do. We we tried to have a joint meet with them this year, and uh, it was scheduled for October. They had about a foot and a half of snow, and uh, we had to say can't do it. And uh, it, it's just it it is it is painful at that time of year. You start really running into this this blockage, if you will. But it's it's pretty universal. 
So, you know, it's funny you mentioned North Country. Were you on the board the year that we had the MFHA board meeting <laughs> at Queechee? And uh, it was a beautiful day, the day we arrived. I mean, it was an October day and the leaves were spectacular and it was a beautiful place. And we woke up the next morning and we were all going to hunt. And a lot of people had hauled their horses, um, you know, from various points south to hunt with North Country. And, and there was like a foot of snow on the ground. And we ended up we ended up going out on foot, which was a lot of fun. But it was um, it was, you know, I felt bad for all those people who hauled their horses all the way up there and then had to haul them home in the snow, you know. I think um, various people on the, I was not on the board at the time because that was at Vernon's and he was the, but I, I was actually had promised, uh, I, I, I promised to come over and, and I failed to get the message for a while. And I was like a third of the way there driving through the snow and thinking, why am I with a trailer? This was not, when I finally got the message, it was canceled. I immediately turned around and went home. But yeah, but yeah there are a lot of people on the board hailing from the South who said they shall never, ever try to do a board meeting in new England again, <laughs> because yeah. Yeah, you think you're safe in October, uh, not necessarily. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. It was a big storm. I, you know, I, I think I left after, left there and went, um, went South to my, my family's home in Northern Massachusetts and they didn't have power for like four days or something. It was, it was a pretty incredible storm. So, so Terry, tell us a little bit more about um, Green Mountain and uh, how you guys hunt and, um, live or drag and how many members you have and how people can reach you if they want to come join you in Vermont. Well, we kind of describe ourselves as a small drag pack in Northern Vermont. Maybe that's uh, a little overly uh, modest in a sense. We're a perfectly normal sized drag pack in Northern Vermont. We probably have about, um, you know, on a given day out, we might have as many as 30 or 40 riders. That's, that's written. Now that's, that's a, that's a, a high, so to speak, but, you know, normal, maybe easily 20. Um, and we probably have, I think 45 or 50 members. Um, and I think, you know, it's a pretty, pretty active and, uh, and, and happy group of people. Um, as I say, we hunt Western Vermont, um, primarily up and down the Champlain Valley. We have members from New York who come across the lake, either the bridge or the ferry, and uh, we'll drive as long as two hours to come hunt with us. So we're pretty pleased with a uh, with our group. We're we're the sort of the second manifestation of the Green Mountain Hounds. The um, the current hunt was, I guess, established maybe around 2001. But but there was a hunt in the in the Stowe and Waitsfield area through the 60s 70s, and um, and we actually have some members in our hunt from that original Green Mountain Hound. And so when this hunt was reformulated, if you will, we we took the name, uh, and they were very happy to have us take the name. And so in some sense, Green Mountain Hounds has been around for quite a while. And uh, and incidentally, the 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 formative. Uh, hounds that that went to Palm Beach. Uh, I mean, uh, it, it, what came from Green Mountain Hounds back in 1979 or something like that. And, and it's been a really fun try to you know coming being the second manifestation because we've reopened territories in the Stowe area and people people come out of their houses and say you're back. Oh, we're so glad to see you're back. It's just they feel like a rock star. They just love us there. And so uh, we we. Um, have a have a moderately long history, if you will. Mm-hmm. We've got a website, easily remembered as greenmountainhounds.com, and uh, 
And of course, there's the old uh, what see us on Facebook or whatever it is. So we have a, a Facebook group presence. And, um, you know, we, we find that between these two things, we, we do have a pretty good communications net. We were, as I mentioned, the, the Boston Globe came. Um, the photographer had seen something on the Internet about our opening meet. And she contacted us, um, you know, uh, spontaneously through that. So we were we were thrilled to be featured in the Globe this this autumn with uh, beautiful pictures of our hounds. And as I say, she visited us twice, and we we're really pleased to host her. So we we hunt as I mentioned August through December twice a week, and uh, and you'll you know you come out Thursday or Sunday, you'll find a field of 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 twenty to twenty five. Come an opening meet, you'll find even more. And uh, we have an awful lot of fun with it. We have about, right now we have 10 couple hounds, which is more than we need for drag. But we're, yeah, well, <laughs> it's fun to have a lot of hounds because yeah. it's just fun. That's all there is to it. <laughs> yeah. So, Terry, can you share um, can you share those photos with us um, from the Boston Globe or a link so we can put it on the Horses in the Morning website so people can oh, see abs- the Oh, absolutely. I'll send it to you right away. Yeah, she sent two links. One was the article that appeared, and then there's a like a supplemental, the big picture or the bigger picture or something, which has even more. And I should also mention that Wentworth, she also visited Wentworth Hunt, who's a neighbor of ours in New Hampshire. and. We're great friends with them, and they're an enormously fun group of people. But she also visited them, so they're they're also featured in the in this article. That's great. I think Wentworth might be the only hunt in New Hampshire. Um, um I think you're right at the moment. Um, yes, I think I think you're correct. Yeah, and yeah. they they hunt even into Maine too. Yeah. I've been at a fixture of theirs in Maine. Well, Terry, thanks so much for joining us on our Hidden Fox Hunting Show. We really appreciate your time, and it's been fun talking to you about winter hunting in Vermont. (laughs) (laughs) Glad to help. I I love to talk about myself, so not a problem. Great (laughs) to meet you, Terry. So our term of the month for January is cap or capping fee. So anyone who is a guest at a hunt or is new to hunting will hear people talking about a cap or a capping fee. And this is a contribution to the upkeep of hounds paid by visitors and non-members for a day's hunting. And the name cap or capping fee comes from the that it was originally they would drop silver, guests would drop silver into the outstretched cap of the field secretary. And so different hunts handle this in different ways and different hunts charge different capping fees. And sometimes you, there's a maximum or minimum number of times you can cap. But if you're new to hunting and you're going out to a hunt and you hear people speaking of the cap or the capping fee, that's the fee that you pay for a day's hunting. So today we have with us John Tabachka from Pennsylvania. And John, I'm not even going to try to say the name of your hunt because I'm pretty sure I'll say it horribly incorrectly. So you say it and then tell us a little bit about your hunt. It's the Sewickley Hunt, and we're located just outside Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania. Excellent. Uh, and we, so the- you know, we're at Drag Pack. Okay. Although we have some live hunting. So how do you determine what you do? Usually, I mean, we try to always drag, but uh, there's times that we do come across a coyote or a fox, and uh, mostly coyotes. And uh, some of the draft towns I've brought in from from live packs say this is better. 
so they go off and uh, take some of my others with them. And I don't really call it wrong. I just go until they make a loss and then click back up and uh, come back to what we had planned. Gotcha. So our theme of January, our, our January episode is cold weather fox hunting. And I know from following you on Facebook and just kind of having a general idea of the weather up there that it's cold. It's cold. Usually. So like, what are, what are the temps right now? Uh, we're right, right below freezing on our way to about 15 tonight. Oh, a warm front or 15 below. Oh, yuck. No, 15 degrees. Oh, okay. So it is a little bit, a little bit warmer. So tell us a little bit about does like, does cold weather affect your season? Do you, you know, the traditional North American season is obviously March to November. Do you follow that season or does the weather adjust for you? Uh, we typically have to stop hunting around the first of the year. We start in late July, early August and go to card meets until the first of the year and weather permitting will continue on. But, uh, it usually starts to get too, too much of a frozen ground. And after hunting on it all fall and early part of the winter, the ground gets cut up. And so once it freezes, it becomes dangerous for the horses. So we have to uh, kind of play it by ear and go when we can, if we can. So you just kind of go, you don't formally end a season and then restart it later. You just kind of call it as the weather dictates? Yes, pretty much. Because, like I said, the, the, the ground conditions don't let us continue on. We get, we get a fair bit of ice up here. And that's just horses slip and fall too easily, even with boyomer studs. Even with, oh, with studs in this. So tell us about how you equip your horses then for this cold weather season. Well, our horses all get uh, snow pads at, in the front for sure. Some have snow pads on all four feet. And uh, I use a medium road stud on all of my hunters. I don't want anything too big to grab and hurt the horse's legs, that kind of stuff. But uh, I much prefer having something that will grab hold of some ice. And also on the roads, we have fair, uh, quite a bit of roads that we have to deal with around here. So it's better to have a road stud than Borium. And so, uh, all, obviously our horses all get clipped so that they can cool out and not stay wet and overheated when it gets out cold outside. So how, so John, this is Emily here, and I'm curious about your kennels and how your kennels are equipped um, for the winter, in addition to your horses, and you know how and how you how you ha manage the hounds when you're not actually hunting. Um, okay, sure. Uh, our kennels are heated, and, mm -hmm. and uh, when we're not hunting because of the weather, we still hound exercise. So we'll, we'll take the hounds out minimum minimum of twice a week on horses, and three other days a week minimum that uh, on foot just get them out of the kennel so they're not cooped up all day. And uh, so we try to keep some level of fitness on horses and hounds so that if the weather does allow us to go, we can go without being unfair to both horses and hounds. Well, I'm curious with the, the Pennsylvania, it's Pennsylvania, right? That requires that the hounds are kept in 50 degrees. Yes. Pennsylvania state law. They did a lot of that back several years ago, 
to combat puppy mills. And yeah. Any, any licensed operation now is inspected. And since, you know, when we're obviously not a puppy mill kind of operation, but I guess they couldn't just say, okay, we're just going to do this for the puppet mill people and the breeders and not foxhounds. So we all fall into that same category. So I'm just, I'm curious, do you, I mean, could you keep the hounds outside for part of the day to just to keep, I mean, cause I grew up in Eastern Montana and so I understand acclimating animals to the, you know, it is hard on them to go from 50 degrees to zero. So do you, do you try to like take them kind of back and forth or how do you deal with that? The hounds could go in and out at free will. So there, there, and uh, there is obviously it's a sliding or a swinging door. It's not exactly fifty degrees in the kennel, and uh, although the heat, there's gas heaters, forced air air heat in the kennel to keep them keep the temperature up. The hounds go in and out at free will. So they, if they feel like they're getting too warm then they, they really go outside. They hang out outside most of the day anyway. They lay out in the sun on their benches and that kind of stuff. How many couple of hounds do you have? I have 20, 25 hounds in, in hunting hounds in the kennel. So that's 12 and a half couple with uh, puppies on, uh, planned, but not bred yet. We're so, a two-day week pack, so we keep it a small, small pack so that everything gets hunted fairly. That makes sense. Um, I'm curious. Uh, <laughs> I have a lot of um, help on my desk while I'm talking to you from some kittens. But um, how do you make the call and how soon ahead do you make the call to cancel a hunt or to change your hunting plans based on weather and temperatures? Uh, as early as, as well... As soon as we can make it, because I have to keep in mind that I have drag people who I have to let know ahead of time. So we like to go to at the farthest out three hours before the carded time to make that call. That way we can get the drag people aware, made them aware, so they're not coming to the kennel to get their, their drag mix and instructions. And, uh, that way people aren't planning on washing their horse or not washing, but you know, getting ready and all that kind of stuff. And not everybody here in Swickley has a trailer. So a lot of them ride to the meets and we're fortunate that the fixtures are close enough that they can hack over. But at the same time, that's added time for them to walk to the meet. So they need to know ahead of time as well. Well, we, we do, but no, no earlier than three hours, but usually especially for a formal season, no less than two hours. So John, this is Emily. I just, I have a couple of different questions. One, your drag, um, your drag layers, do they go out on foot, on horseback, on four wheeler? Um, uh, I've it's all, it's all done on foot here because the terrain is so steep and the uh, covers are so thick that if we were going to do it on uh, any kind of mechanical vehicle, quad, four wheeler, whatever, um, or on a horseback, it would all have to be done right down the trails. Mm. And we don't want that. So we, our drag people go out on foot and, uh, each, each drag line might be anywhere up to three, three and a half miles, but we break them up into sections. And so each drag person in a kind of a hopscotching through the day. 
Hmm. Doing short pieces. That's really interesting to me because, you know, I've never hunted with a drag pack, I have to confess. So I don't know actually how, how, I mean, I've read about it a lot. So, um, but I didn't, you know, I didn't know how it was actually done. Um, So then my next question is uh, getting back to the weather. What, what are your sort of, you know, the huntsman's cold weather clothing tips since you're out there? Like, do you have any particular item of clothing that you're like, I absolutely can't live without this from December to March or whatever the season is. Um, yeah, I, I like, I like thin, thin, lightweight, long underwear, like, um, something even thinner than under armor. Cause if it's under my hunting clothes that much easier, the biggest thing for me is to not have anything too tight, whether it's your, your, your belt, your pants, your boots, because you need blood flow, especially to your boots. If your boots are too tight, your feet are going to freeze. Mm. So I, I always keep my, my I get when I have my boots made to measure. I always, I don't care if I'm getting measured in the middle of July. I have my thickest long underwear, my thickest britches, and my thickest socks mm-hmm. to get measured. And then I just make the boots fit on the days, and it's not so cold. And do you, um, do you let people wear on the cold days? Do you let people kind of come in whatever's most um, warm and comfortable for them? Or are you pretty much formal all the time? Um, I've seen a lot of people show up with something like a neck gaiter. Yeah. It's kind of whitish or white. It looks, it, from a distance, would look like a big fluffy stock tie. Mm-hmm. I, I'm one of these guys, I wear my tropical weight coat all year round. So even on the coldest days, I just layer under it and wear my lightweight coat. Mm-hmm. Uh, another trick I always do, and people don't like riding to the meat with me in the truck, is because I go with the heat off. Uh-huh. Because I, I'm dressed to be outside. So if I have the heat on in the truck, that means I'm going to start to get a little overheated in the, in the car. And then once you get wet, you freeze. Yeah. Coming home, coming home after hunting, I'll have the heat blasting. But uh, going to the meet, I'll have the heat off and sometimes a window cracked. Yeah, I can, I can definitely relate to that. Having, I, you know, I grew up eastern Montana working cattle this time of year, and so we would always do the same thing and not, you know, not get too toasty hot before you go outside in that because it's hard to acclimate to it. And so, yeah, I'd rather be a little cold at the meat that I'm comfortable when we're hunting. Yeah, than, uh, for sure. Warm at the meat and overheat while hunting. Then you freeze hacking home. So I'm guessing since you're a drag hunt that your hunts are, they move pretty quickly. And so the horses get warm and stay warm pretty easily. Is that the case? That is the case. That is the case. And when it's cold like this, we won't, we won't uh, pause long between the drag lines because uh, we don't need horses and or hounds or people cooling down too much. Where luckily when, you know, when I was hunting in other places, when you'd make a loss or you put your fox around, you mark it in, you go on. And as you're drawing for your next, drawing your next cover or so, you're still moving around. And also things don't stiffen up too much where with our drags, when they end, we literally we've stopped and everybody stands for a few minutes and lets the hilltoppers catch up and stuff like that. So it gets, gets a little, little, um, dicey sometimes about stiffening up for horses and hounds, but, uh, we try not to let that happen too much. 
Do most people clip their horses or do they leave them free? Uh, most people tend to clip at least twice in the season, but because we, our season is so catches catch can after the first of the year, sometimes we'll do a trace clip or something afterwards. But yeah, my, my hunters get a full clip through the season. Cause one thing I always wonder about, I mean, I hunt in Texas, as you know, and sometimes we think it gets cold, but it really doesn't. I mean, it does get cold, but not like terribly cold. Do, does anyone ever hunt with like a quarter sheet or is that completely just against all fox hunting etiquette? I've never seen it here. I've seen pictures of it online, but I've, I've never seen it here. And now hound exercise with a quarter sheet and something like that, but not, I, I, no, I, I don't hunt that. And I don't, I, I've never seen it here. I would think that um, having a quarter sheet, and at least in our country, you know, you might get caught up on something pretty easily. You know, you could get a branch yeah. cut under there or, you know, in our country, we're, you know, we have a lot of pointy, sharp things sticking out, cactus and, you know, uh, creosote bush and things that have like spines. And I could see that being a, being a, a wreck waiting to happen. Well, and I think, John, your, your country is pretty wooded, isn't it? It is very wooded and very steep. Yeah. We're, we're uh, just at the foothills, really, of the, uh, the mountains around. So it's, I'm, I'm not sure that actually the actual mountain range we're in, but uh, it, it get, we're at the foothills of it. So, I mean, it's, it's not like rolling hills of the Piedmont or anything like that. It's, it's pretty, pretty ragged. So when you go out, yeah, on a good day, how many how many folks do you have in your field? And then when it's like a bitter cold and like the tried and trues are there, how many do you have in the field? Uh, you know, I'm, I'm the worst one to ask about that because I don't see <laughs> behind me. I never pay attention yeah. to that. My, my focus is always on what's going on with the drag, getting the drags laid and finished on time and uh, what my hounds are doing and where my staff is going. So frankly really i i'm i'm the worst one to ask about that i don't know so do you do you think it i mean i imagine it pretty strongly affects how many people will turn out oh yeah that it does that it does yeah i mean i i, I will notice if we don't have a big deal but i'd never count to see what a big field is or we've only got like four people or something like that that because it as and this sounds cliche but as professional if i've got four people out or 40 my my job is to show them all the same good time or the best of my ability each time out. So it doesn't change how I hunt, whether I got four or 40 following. Do y'all do a lunch after your hunt? We'll sometimes have uh, a party at somebody's house after hunting or back here at the clubhouse, but uh, not, not very often. Six, so in the cold weather, I'm guessing definitely no. Yeah, definitely no. But we, we rarely have any kind of a tailgate. Uh, okay. And again, that's because most that's because a lot of people don't trailer to the meat. A lot of them will ride to and from the meat. So they're just not there. I mean I will if I'm missing a hound, which isn't doesn't happen very often, about to stay around the trailer the trailer, call them in. Uh yeah, we we may sit around chat and have a little snack or something afterwards, but we really don't do a whole lot of tailgating here. So I have to ask, do you have any really good, bad winter weather stories? 
Well, I can remember one year hunting in Maryland, so I mean, but it was a really cold snap, and the hounds found them were screaming, and I came to this creek, and my whipper in, it stopped. This was a fairly wide, 15, 20-foot-wide creek, and it was somewhat deep, and uh, but it had frozen completely over. And I came on, and I just shot past him, and I kicked my horse in the belly, and we landed way out on the ice. And uh, we broke through the ice, and big sheets of chunks of ice went, and we basically were like an icebreaker across that creek. And I had remembered an old, old fox hunter from my time growing up here in Pittsburgh telling me, you don't walk across ice, you run across. Because it lets your borium or whatever dig in, or it breaks it in big chunks and not little hoof sizes break through so that they don't cut going through and cut coming back out. It just breaks it all up. And I took his advice that day and I put through my whipper and when he caught up to me, he said, John, you're a lot crazier than I gave you credit for. (laughs) I thought that was kind of funny. Oh, that sounds invigorating and terrible all at the same time. (laughs) Oh, I was terrified. Terrified. I just kicked that horse in the belly and said, today's a good day to die. Hounds on and then must go. So do you shoe, um, do you shoe with Borium? Um, my horses all have studs. They do. Drive in from studs. Yeah. yeah. Okay. Do a lot of people in your hunt shoe with Borium studs or Borium nubs, uh, whatever, whatever they're called? Yeah. Some, some use Borium, some use studs. If I, if, if I can have any influence, I always try to get them to use the studs because the roads up here, we have a lot of tar and chip or cinder and chip or whatever you want to call it. And when it gets really cold, that tar becomes extremely slippery. And borium kind of rolls and rounds off and doesn't stay as sharp as studs do. Yeah. So they slide more with borium, where the studs give you a better chance at grabbing hold, at least my opinion. I think we could do a whole episode on how to shoe your horse for winter fox hunting. I mean, it, there's so oh, many there, there's so many different ways to do it. You know, you can do studs and snow pads and depends on where you are. And I mean, it's just, there's so many options. And I was just thinking about this because my farrier just left and we have uh, a bunch of, we have a bunch of weather here in New Mexico, which we don't normally have. And I, I said to him, I'm like, I need a little bit of traction now. And he's like, okay. So he put some, he put some little boring nubs in there and it's like, should hold me. So that's, yeah, that, that would be good. Yeah, better than nothing. Better than nothing. Slip sliding away, right? And hurt yourself, That's hurt right. yours. Yeah. So, um, so on a more talking about the drag hunt, um, just going back to that for a minute because I'm really curious about about how that works. Um, so, do you make a plan in the morning about where you're going to go and I mean, obviously you have to have some kind of a path, but do you, do you change that up and how do you make the decision as to where to send your drag line people? The masters and I discuss it about two to three days ahead of each uh, carted day. And the, our country is very small and very tight. So we have a lot of uh, landowners to talk to and make sure that we can seek permission to get, go across their farm for that day. And, mm-hmm. and specifically sometimes at a, at a specific time that way they can have their horses in or if they've got something going on they don't need us or want us we have time to make other other arrangements and then uh i i kind of draw it out on 
Google Maps or Google Earth and email the lines out to all my people who are going to lay the drag, they can see it. And uh, then when they all meet here at the at the kennels before going out to lay their drag, we can discuss in greater detail where I want them to go. But I don't make it so so detailed that I want them on the left side of this trail and the right side of this. And I want you to go past that one and then hang a hard right. I don't do that because I don't want to micromanage what they're doing. And I, plus, I want to hunt. I don't want to know exactly where they're going. If the hounds make a loss, I want to have to hunt for it. Mm-hmm. That's interesting. And then, you know, I'm guessing you then have, I don't know if the, the word luxury is appropriate, but you, you have the flexibility, at least when the weather is bad, to make it a little shorter. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. And even there, there was a day two years ago, I believe it was, that we were out and the footing was just horrendous. I mean, it was slippery. And I, I said to the master, I said, Doug, we got to call this. I mean, I'm trying to keep up with the hounds and I've almost fallen five times. The field doesn't have to go as fast as I do to stay with the pack. And uh, he said, you're the, it's your neck. You call it. We'll, you want to call it? We'll call it. Even though I had people already go out and lay the, the rest of the drags for the day, we called it and said, sorry, guys, we'll try to hunt it on another day. You know, We'll, we'll finish this hunt on another day. Yeah. Excellent. Well, I definitely, I I appreciate you coming on and and telling us about winter hunting in Pennsylvania. So we, a lot of our listeners are not, uh, they're not um, active fox hunters, but many of them are very curious about hunting. So if you would tell us how folks would find you and would find Swickley, did I say it right? Swickley Hunt Club. Yeah, well, you can go to our website, swickleyhuntclub.com. Excellent. Well, we will put that in our show notes, and we appreciate your time tonight, and you have a wonderful day. Thank you. It was nice talking with you. What a great storyteller. Gosh, so much fun. Well, that's about a wrap for the day, so why don't you ladies tell everybody where they can find information about today's episode, etc., etc., etc. You can find Coverside online at www.ecoverside.net or the digital edition at issue issuu.com backslash e coverside find the links to today's guests in the show notes at horsesinthemorning.com and you can follow horses in the morning on facebook just search for horses in the morning you can have can- all of the horse radio network shows with you wherever you go with our free app for iphone and android go to your app store and search for horse radio network And if you miss the live show, you can still listen to the recorded version on our website, our affiliate websites, or any podcast player. You never need to miss an issue. Thank you today to our sponsor, the Masters of Foxhound Association and Coverside Magazine. And now we'll hear from John Tabachka, who is one of our guests today, blowing Going Home on the Horn at the 2015 National Horn Blowing Championships. 